Good morning, church. Is it too early to start saying Merry Christmas? I know, I just want to say that. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here. Uh, just a quick invitation to join us uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, we'll be holding our Christmas Eve service uh, next Saturday at 4 o'clock. Hope you and your family, friends, uh, will join us. And this year, Christmas Eve falls on uh, Saturday, and then Christmas Day falls on Sunday. And so when we were trying to make a decision on which one would serve you best, um, just looking back at numbers, it seems like Christmas Eve is, is the time that would serve you, the, the church family, the best. So we decided to do Christmas Eve uh, and then not do Christmas services on Sunday morning. Uh, so I want to make sure you're aware of that. But if you came in this morning through this common area, you may have noticed boxes out there. Um, we do want to send you home with something. Um, and this is for your family for Christmas. There's a few little goodies in there, but there's also um, a little, uh, like a QR code for like a 15-minute devotional for your family on Christmas Day. Uh, so we want to be able to serve you in both spaces, both here, Christmas Eve, and then at home on Christmas Day uh, for you and your family. So be sure you grab one per family, but grab one, uh, those boxes on your way out. Um, we are in Revelation. That seems like a strange place to be for a Christmas series. Uh, we are celebrating the first coming of Christ by looking at uh, how he will return at his second advent. And so this series is entitled The Second Advent. And, um, and so we're at that time of year where um, we're, doing, we're doing a lot of spending time with family. And I don't know if you do this with your family, but like going through old photos and old pictures. Um, I was just thinking about just recently, like um, our boys are getting old enough. Now I can go back and look at baby pictures and I have to like look for a minute and go, oh yeah, that... That is this one. That is that one. This is Hudson. This is Calvin. Because they've changed so much, right? So sometimes it's hard to reconcile old images uh, with the, new, the, the current image of a person. And so some of you are old enough, though. Your kiddos have gone from, like, baby to, like, married. And so I don't know how you reconcile that. Um, but uh, I was thinking about that tension even with Jesus, that as we celebrate his birth and we think about Jesus as a baby in a manger— Sometimes it's hard to reconcile that with everything else that we know about Jesus, right? With, with the one who fed the 5,000, the one who walked on water, the one who calmed the storm, the one who raised the dead, the one who went to the cross for our sins and died and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven. And, and now we're reading these descriptions of how he will return. And this is the same baby. I think this is, a, is for a lot of us, it is hard at Christmas, are we shifting our focus to a different Jesus all of a sudden? Like even the fact that we're baptizing um, in services this morning doesn't necessarily feel Christmassy. We'll actually do more baptisms this December than any other December that I'm aware of in our history, right? And so, which is, yeah, exciting. We've got last week and a couple more this week in the 11 o'clock service, but just the idea that we're baptizing in a Christmas service brings that tension to mind, right? Like, we're acknowledging the birth of our Savior. We've got decorations hung, and, and oh yeah, he came, right, to open up a way for us to have a reconciled relationship with God, and baptism is, is the expression of that. A person's personal journey and walk with the Lord that they have now, right, have, have trusted in him and him alone, and, and they've put their faith not just in baby Jesus, but grown-up Jesus who died for their sins, and so, as we step into the scriptures this morning, I want to begin with Luke chapter 2, 
a description of his birth before we go to Revelation 19, a description of his return. Verse 6 of Luke 2 says this, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. This is Mary and Joseph. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, most of us are familiar with that. As I'm reading it, you're maybe already filling in the words. You know what comes in next. This beautiful description of these first-time parents, young and don't have a lot of money and in a foreign town and don't have a place to stay, but you don't get to decide when you, right, go into labor. And so she goes into labor and the best they could find was a stable and a manger and some claws and they did the best they could. What's interesting today, we're going to look at one of the descriptions of Jesus's return and that Jesus is going to return as a groom returns for his bride. So to take the leap from this moment, this baby that grows into a man this man who was also the son of God who not only died he rose again he ascended to heaven and will return one day and he will look very different from this moment one of the ways that God wants us to understand his love for us is in this context of the marriage paradigm something that's unique about marriage helps us understand God's love for us and it's not the only paradigm, like God relates to us most frequently in the scriptures as a father to a child. So something about that relationship tells us who God is. We, we know that Jesus came to be a friend of sinners. So something about that relationship of Jesus being a friend to me tells us about who Jesus is and his willingness to be with me. And, and then something about this marriage paradigm, this, this decision that we make in life to choose somebody and then to commit to them is set apart from other relational paradigms that I choose you and I will stay with you and that begins to help us understand who God is and his love for us so in Revelation 19 we'll, we'll start in verse 6 we have this description and we're really stepping into a pretty dynamic moment okay this is this is not the moment we were just in, quiet, stables, nighttime, people are asleep, it's a silent night. What we're about to step into is a dynamic scene, and it is the return of Jesus. And verse 6 says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Okay, that's the literal description of what John is hearing in this scene. I, could, I heard a loud noise, and I could tell it was a lot of people. It's also referred to the gathering of the nations. And so John is hearing the sound of, of a lot of people making their way to wherever he is. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, and he describes it metaphorically like this, like the roar of many waters. Um, I've never been to Niagara um, I've been around, though, loud, loud water. Have you ever been around a lot of water moving fast? You can hear it. You can smell it. You can actually feel it. There's a percussion in the ground. It, it moves the earth. And so he said, this sound of the great multitude, it sounded like many waters. And then he gives us another description. And like the sound of mighty 
peals of thunder. We know what that sounds like. We know what thunder sounds like, but it's, it's like many peals of thunder going off at the same time. I not only hear it, I can feel it. And they were crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now what this is, is a celebration of God's people saying, Finally, finally, God is getting the worship He is due. Finally, He is going to be recognized among creation in His glory. Nobody's going to misunderstand Him this time. Nobody's going to be asleep in their bed. Nobody's going to take his room in the inn. Nobody's going to nail him to a cross. Finally, he reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is a beautiful scene. It's actually connected to what we talked about last week where Jesus returns as a victorious warrior. And really, these two scenes go together, and we'll talk through that in a minute. But as he returns, right, here in this scene, as a groom ready for a wedding, he shows up as a warrior. So it's almost more of like a rescue scene that turns into a wedding. He rescues his bride from her enemies before the wedding. And the great multitude, the nations gathered, are saying, exalt the Lord, give Him glory. Finally, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And I think it helps to step into the context of this day and time and what marriage would have looked like. And we're going to see Jesus as a groom all throughout His ministry. So to begin with, this was a day and time where marriages were arranged. Great idea for parents. Children hate this idea. But this was a day and time where it was just understood. And oftentimes, kiddos were, were kind of committed to one another, four years old, five years old, six years old, and, and they really barely even knew what was going on. But the parents made a commitment to one another that my son, your daughter, when they grow up, will get married. It was part of the culture. And so this, really, a wedding ceremony began years before it ever happened and it began with a simple pledge we pledge our son to your daughter we pledge our daughter to your son now what would happen is if nobody changed their mind <laughs> a better option didn't come along is that after the kiddos passed what they would refer to as puberty um, they would then ratify this decision with the sharing of the first glass of wine. It was kind of a rite of passage from adolescence into young adulthood. And so if nobody had changed their minds, the parents would get those kiddos together and they would share their first glass of wine to ratify this pledge. And then the, 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 uh, the groom's parents would pay a dowry, a price, like a goat, a piece of land, a couple of dove, a bag of wheat, something. To, to ratify this decision. Now, what would happen is the kiddos would go back to their own home, of course, and continue becoming adults. And then at a certain time, 
when the groom had established a place for them to live, he would go back and get her. Oftentimes, he would just add on to dad's house. Or maybe dad had enough land, he would pick a different spot, but build a little house there on the property. But he was not going to go back and get the bride until he had a house ready, a place for them to live. Now, he may have been 17 years old once this happens, right? They may have shared this glass of wine at 12, 13 years old, and over the next two, three, four years, he's building, he's saving, he's putting shingles on the roof, and he's finally got a place at 17, 18 years old. Then he would gather his wedding party, and they would go back to the bride's house and say, it's time, I have a place for you to live. And the the wedding party would help pack her stuff, and they would move all of her stuff to the house, and then the wedding ceremony would take place, which was like a week-long celebration which ended with the actual wedding so this was just like understood wedding orthodoxy at this day and time this is how you do weddings to do it outside of this would have been odd and so when jesus talks about weddings when he changes water to to wine at a wedding or he refers to himself as a groom going to a wedding this is what he has in mind so we think about the love that God has for us and what he's communicating to us when he says my son will return for you like a groom returning for his bride and then we begin to dig into the old testament and look at the things that God says about himself and his love for us and we see that God did indeed make a pledge to us and really it's all over the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and I'm going to read something from Hosea a beautiful description of God's pledge to you, God's pledge to me, God's pledge to the nations. In Hosea chapter 2, I want to read this slow slow enough for us to hear it and to imagine it. God is speaking and describing his about his love for his people and he's referring to the future. Verse 14 says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. It's Bible talk for romantic flirting. I will woo her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, just like when she was a little girl. And at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal or my idol, my false god. For I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant, a commitment, a covenant on that day with the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. He's still talking now about that day in the future. He says, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. A beautiful description of God's pledge to you. I will betroth you to me. I will give you your vineyards. God will remove, and what's beautiful about this passage, and we'll come back to this, is God does not say, I will ask her to remove the names of the bales from her mouth. I will demand, right, that she forsakes all her other lovers and then comes to me. It's not what God says. He says, I will remove it. I will do that work in her. I will do the work in her that she can't do for herself. And I will remove the false gods from her heart and from her lips. And she will remember their names no more. And she will call me my husband. And so we can see God interacting with his people. He's making a pledge. We fast forward to the life of Christ. Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 26, verse 26. This is a passage we read about the Lord's Supper, communion. I want you to think about Jesus as our future groom here in the upper room with his disciples. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't want to make too much of this, but the dowry, the price paid, Jesus is talking about it here. I will pay a price for you. This cup that we share, this cup of wine that we share is a symbol of the price I will pay for you. It is a symbol of the covenant, this commitment, this future marriage that we will have together. And oh, by the way, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine again until I get to drink it with you, new in my Father's kingdom. What a faithful groom to be who pledges his own life and his own blood as the dowry paid. And he signifies this covenant with the cup. I hope we'll think about that, church. With every communion we take, the little cup that we drink from in here is a symbol of this cup. A cup that symbolizes the price paid and the covenant commitment that Jesus has made to us as we drink from the cup and await his return where we get to share a cup with him new in his Father's kingdom. In the Gospel of John, I think Jesus talks about this explicitly. 
chapter 14. These are in the latter days of his life here on earth before the cross. And he says this to his disciples as a, as, a, as a word of comfort and encouragement and confidence. He's letting them know, I'm getting ready to go away to do something, but I'm going to come back. Just like a, a faithful groom-to-be will come back. He says this in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. When Jesus ascends back to his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God, he does so as a future groom-to-be, going to prepare a place for us so that he will one day return again to claim his bride. You, me, say, you're mine. I've already, I've already purchased you. I laid my life down to, to pay the price for you, and now I've got a, a place for us to live. And so Revelation 19 is the description of his return. Last week we read that he's returning on a white horse and the armies of heaven with him and they're riding white horses. That's the wedding party coming to get the, groom, the bride. Revelation 19, we'll pick this up in verse, the rest of verse seven, says this. And his bride has made herself ready. I want you to think about something and the wording's gonna change now, but Everybody, all the brides who've, or the ladies who have been a bride once, and you remember if you had a big wedding and a big to-do, you had help getting ready. Not, not all of you may have had that kind of elaborate wedding, but that happens a lot. I've done a lot of weddings, and, and we, right, the, the guys may have their own special room to hide out, but it's usually like a janitor closet, but the bride gets a space with mirrors and places to hang, like, and then there's a whole, there's room for her whole crew, Makeup and hair and dress and train and all the things and flowers and she needs help getting ready. Right? And so look at what is expressed here. And it's so subtle. Verse 8 says, It was granted her. This is so important. It was actually given as, as a gift. It was granted her to clothe herself in, with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and so as a bride uh, is adorned in this amazing dress and makeup and hair and she's made to look radiant and beautiful you and I won't have to get ourselves ready for this wedding it will be given to you as a gift Spoken so subtly in this description, it will be granted to us to be clothed in righteousness. It will be gifted to us. It's like, oh, I'm a mess. There's no way I'm going to get my life ready for this kind of wedding. I'm not ready for Jesus to return. And Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to grant that. I'm going to give that to you as a gift. Ephesians 5 describes it vividly this way. Verse 25, speaking to husbands, love your wives. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So we have this, this image of Jesus loving the church as a groom loves a bride. Husbands, love your wives the same way. And he gave himself up for her. He paid the price for her with his own life that he might sanctify her. Okay? This is fancy Bible talk for being made clean and righteous. So the church doesn't make itself clean. We don't clean ourselves up. Jesus does that for us. He sanctifies us. We don't sanctify ourselves. So husbands love your wives the way that Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her and he sanctified her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So listen to this. He might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Church, you are going to look beautiful when Jesus returns. You are going to be radiant without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. And Jesus is going to do that for you. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that moving? Jesus will provide all that is needed for you and for me to clothe ourselves in righteousness. This is why the promise is if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Cleanse you, right? To forgive you of all unrighteousness. You can't, you can't clean yourself up. That's the rub here. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you are either still trying to clean yourself up or you have come to the realization you can't and you've given up. One of those two things. And Jesus is saying to you, you can't clean yourself up, but I can clean you up. Your faith in me is this invitation into this eternal relationship. And as you await my return, you await my return as a, as a future bride awaits her future groom. And when he shows up, you are going to be out of this world beautiful. You are. Holy and without blemish. Jesus will present his bride to himself. The last verse in this passage we're reading today is verse 9 in Revelation 19. And I just love this. So you have John. He's the gospel writer, John. Now, fast forward several decades, and he's receiving this vision. And he's writing down what he's seeing, what he's hearing. He's describing it for us. And then once in a while, there's an angel present who's like, hey, you're going to want to write this down. Hey, write this down. And the angel said to me, write this. Don't miss this part, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So, 
the greatest blessing I could speak over you today is that you have been invited. You've been invited to this wedding, but not as a distant family member or a weird Uncle Bob. You've been invited as a groom invites his future wife. Like, you've been invited blessed like the angel saying john write this one down make sure they read this one in church blessed are those who are invited to this wedding will your voice be among the nations will your voice be among those who's crying out finally finally jesus is glorified as he always should have been He's here. He came back. He prepared a place and he has come back. Will your voice be among this great multitude that sounds like many rushing waters and the peals of many clashes of thunder? Some questions here for us to think about. First of all, I want you to think about how does, how does it shape your perspective of who God is to know he loves you like a husband faithfully loves his wife? Let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. For some of us, that may be foreign territory. You may not have a healthy, beautiful picture in your mind of that because you may have not have seen that example. I didn't grow up in a home that looked like that. I wouldn't know what that looks like simply by looking at the home I grew up in. It would be confusing to me. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for a, for a, a husband to love his wife faithfully and sacrificially. But so often we take our experiences in life and then we map those onto God. God says, I'm a father. And so we map on whatever dad was in our mind and our experience and we map that onto God and go, oh, he's the guy that gets annoyed with me. He's the guy I can never make happy. Or you take whatever you experienced in marriage and you map it onto God and you go, God, Jesus is saying he's a husband to a bride and so that means he's gonna yell at me, he's gonna mistreat me, he's gonna ignore me. He's going to manipulate me. He's going to go behind my back. And so we map those experiences on to God. How does it shape your image of who God is to see him in this light as a faithful husband who has already paid a sacrificial price for you and he will return? How does it shape your perspective of who God is? I want you to think about this as what has Jesus done in your life to prepare you for his return as a groom? He begins this work in you at the moment of salvation. Might even argue that he begins that before then. This preparatory work, this good work in us. Remember in Philippians, Paul's talking about this good work in me. God, bring it to completion, this good work he started in you. What good work has he started in you to prepare you for this day? Maybe today is it. This is a starting point for you. And then I want you to think about this. If the standard to get into heaven is perfect, perfection, righteousness, and holiness, what does it mean to be made 
righteous by faith. Think about that. How does it take your effort out of the equation? You can't make yourself ready for this wedding. So, what does it mean to be made righteous by faith? And then just to follow up, why is that good news for you? I know why it's good news for me. Why is that good news for you? Just think about that. That Jesus will do the work in you to make you ready for this wedding day. I want to lead us in a time of prayer now. And um, as I pray, our worship team will come out and prayer partners will begin to move to the front. We're available to pray with you today. Um, We have elders and pastors here today who'd be honored to answer questions, pray with you, talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. Let me pray for us now and and then we'll we'll respond. Um, Father, thank you for this beautiful imagery of your love for us. And God, when we look to our earthly examples, it's so, so hard to imagine your love for us in this way. And maybe a few of us have seen a, a glimpse of what it looks like for a husband to be faithful to his wife, to love her sacrificially. But for most of us, God, we, we get disoriented in that imagery. We're so thankful for Revelation 19 that describes this beautiful return that, God, you have not forgotten us or forsaken us, but you are planning this day for us, this future wedding of the Lamb. So, Father, this morning, we want to respond in faith today. We don't want to wait until that day, but we want to respond today. We want to respond with our hearts. We want to respond in faith. Jesus, trusting that you have done everything required to cleanse us of unrighteousness and to prepare us for this wedding. So, Lord Jesus, now as we stand to sing, just as a symbol of what is to come, we're going to raise our voices in this place, symbolizing the voice of the multitudes, exalting you as our Lord and Savior and our King of Kings. Father, anybody here today that does not know you, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. So now as we sing, Lord Jesus, may you be honored, may you be worshipped. We pray this in your name.